Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is currently available as a video. So if you want to check us out in all our glory, then please head over to youtube.com at Poddywood. For now though, enjoy the episode. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Poddywood, the podcast where we talk about all kinds of movie and movie-related events and information, sometimes with people that make movies. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and currently cleaning his glasses with his t-shirt because he's scum, is my co-host, who's joining me as always, and is... Andrew Roger Carson. I've actually made them worse. <laughs> Hang on. He was just drinking a cup of tea. Is it a cup of tea? Yeah, it was. I was drinking a cup of tea and I was taking a sip just as Steve was about to do the countdown, as you can see. And my glasses steamed up and I couldn't see. So, apologies. You all right? Are you you blind? Do you need us to come back to you? No, it's just uh, for a brief second everything went dark. And speaking of everything going dark, Steve... Mm. Let's talk about what's in the box from last week to start us off because we've wasted enough time. Yes, we have busy chatting. Yeah, Dark City, 1998. Um, You have uh, a guy called Neo who's played by Rufus Sewell who wakes up one day to find that the world around him isn't what he thinks it was. He gets contacted by a wonderful woman called uh, Trinity who's played by Jennifer Connelly and the two of them unite with a man who is then going to expand their horizons uh, played by Kiefer Sutherland who is called Morpheus and the three of them go to expose a deep uh, no wait sorry I'm getting the plots of this and the Matrix mixed up you wouldn't be the first one Deja vu. no no, all joking aside Dark City is a film by the Crows director Ellis Pro- Ellis See, now we can't even get his first name right. Alex Proyas. 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 A joke uh, so funny, we repeat it two shows in a <laughs> row. Deja vu. Um, and yes, in all seriousness, Rupert, Rupert Sewell plays a guy called uh, John Murdoch who wakes up in a hotel room bathtub uh, with the body of a murdered prostitute nearby and has got no memory of why he is there, uh, how this woman died, whether or not he's actually involved uh, or the murderer is someone else and he goes on a journey to try and get to the truth behind it all and uh, hunted down by a police officer whose name completely escapes me at the moment, played by William Hurt Oh, man, I thought you were going to say you, the name William Hurt escaped you. No, no, no. I just, I, I can't remember the character. It's, it's something like Bumgardner or something like that. No! I can't Possibly. remember. It, it gets mentioned many, many times in the film, but it's just not lodged in my head. With all this, you have a mysterious doctor played by Kiefer Sutherland, who's doing his best kind of <laughs> Peter Laurie, yes, master kind of impression. It's very Peter Laurie, yeah. It is very Peter Laurie. Um... But overseeing the whole thing are these weird, mysterious people in very, very high collars with pale, bald heads and big hats. Um, 
and they all seem to have this mysterious power and it becomes very very apparent that the world around him isn't what he thinks it is and he starts to go down this spiraling rabbit hole of self-discovery and you cannot watch this movie without getting into spoilers so i am going to issue a spoiler warning right now timestamp is below or it will also be at this timestamp if you just listen here 1847 so go over to that if you don't want it spoiled uh, otherwise stay tuned uh yeah so the similarities to the matrix Deja vu. cannot well, be overstated I to would the say, point that no, sorry, you, you've got it wrong. The Matrix's yeah. similarities to Dark To Sith. this, to this, okay, yes, semantics, yes, but you're absolutely right, yeah. The Matrix came out the year later. It, it, it cannot be overstated just how much the two films share from the, the theory about the world around you being completely different to it being controlled by a um, malevolent higher... Uh, authority that's controlling mankind for their own means there is an invasive grouping of agents who go through the system seemingly able to control the population at will um these people are almost identical in in their overall appearance a lot of the sound effects are the same from the the telephone that was going off um i'm sure that some of the sets look exactly the same like his I'm... apartment building looks like the the scene where neo's having the little deja vu thing on the stairs the, it, it, and it even goes right yes several of the set pieces were actually sold to the matrix production okay well that will like that will explain that because yeah. i know I know uh, it was filmed in Australia? Yes, I believe so. So this was filmed in Australia? Possibly. I'd say so. I mean, Alex Price is Australian. So well, that would make sense. It would make sense. Um, and also you've got a few stalwarts as well, like uh, Bruce Spence. Oh, fucking Bruce Spence. You know it's Australia. Yeah. He was in yeah. Matrix as well. He was as the train man. He was in the yeah. sequels. Um, Maybe they sold him to it as well. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, we've got this fella. Uh, you might remember him from those uh, Mad Max films. Um, well, it was um, it was from the house that Freddy built, New Line Cinema, and he ended up in yes. Lord of the Rings as the mouth of Sauron. True. So he was doing a lot round about that time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he gets the work. If you need a, a kind of bizarre-looking dude, he always ends up in sci-fi and horror. Or the comedy um, movie Hercules Returns, which is incredible if you have not seen it. Incredible for the right or the wrong reasons? For the right reasons. Basically, it's about an Australian cinema house. They want to open showing old movies. And uh, they get it on the night, but it's all in Italian. So the three people who own the cinema have to redub the entire film without ever seeing it. And it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. That does actually sound brilliant. I'm it gonna, is. I'm going to watch that now. It tells me that you're looking for a new act for your nightclub. Well, look no further. Uh, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. I, I know I did watch the director's cut on your recommendation. Good. So I don't know if this was in the original cut or not, because I haven't seen that one. I can't compare it. Uh, but you've even got the same kind of colour palette balance yes. between the artificiality of the the city and then this underworld which is populated by all these identical people which, which, which seem to be aliens 
who've, uh, who are studying humans to try and work out what makes humans tick. And even then, you've got green for the real world, blue for them. Yes. Which is the exact same way it is with the Matrix movies. So if I was Alex Proyas, I would be wanting to sue the arse off the Wachowskis. I really would. That'd be interesting. I did reach out to Alex Proyas. I'm hoping to get him on uh, the show one day, and I hope he's listening yeah. to this episode. We want you to come on. We want to hear all about it. Whether you've talked about it a million times, you can talk here and swear. It's even better. Yeah. Uh, next- I, mean, I love The Matrix. I thought it was... I, I saw that before I saw this, obviously, because I only watched this this week. Um, but I thought The Matrix was an incredible movie. It was a highlight of 1999. Now, if I'd have seen this first, I probably would have been in the cinema just going, what the hell, how much of this have you ripped off, Alex Proyas? There's so much stuff. But what you have, though, is ignoring all that, you have quite a lopsided film, in my opinion. Oh, okay. Oh, indeed. I think the movie is at its best and it's at its strongest within the first hour. Okay. Everything surrounding the mystery of it all, uh, the 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 unknown, the questioning as to what is real, what isn't real, and trying to work out the mystery in your own head is far more satisfying when you don't have those answers given to you. A lot of the second half for me didn't feel as interesting because you were given so much of the answers that you were looking for fairly early on within the film. Hmm. And I was I was thoroughly enjoying this as it was going on. I wanted that chase, the hunt. I wanted the noir aspect to go on more and more and more. I didn't want them to catch the Nazis. I wanted them to be chasing the Maltese Falcon. Okay. To mix my metaphors. No, no, that's a very good metaphor, as a matter of fact. You know. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, that, that was my thing. Um, in terms of the performances, William Hurt was very, very stoic very very directional cop uh rufus sewell though i i i kind of didn't realize that was who rufus sewell was Mm. who did you think rufus sewell was i don't know because i think this was the first thing that i'd ever seen him in but i knew the name okay that's fair enough that's fair enough okay okay uh counterpoint i say let him crash okay i'm gonna start off alex proyas uh an amazing director who Mm -hmm. I feel is constantly ahead of his time. Uh, he was ahead of his time on The Crow, which he directed, yeah. uh, which has been often imitated and never duplicated. Uh, yes, we're looking no. at you, Crow City of Angels. Hey, iRobot. iRobot is a movie I feel was so ahead of its time. It's basically iClaudius with robots. Yes. But when you look at the world kind of today, it's it is very kind of in that sphere it, it was a movie i felt was a little too early but mm-hmm. good in that way and i think there's a, a lost classic for alex proyas called knowing starring Nicolas cage oh is um, that the one where the world's coming to an end and he kind of yes works it out? i think knowing was a bit ahead of its time as well and, and i remember seeing it and thinking there was something a bit missing from it but i think i need to go back and watch it again uh, the, the the thing is with Alex Proyas, it doesn't really disappoint with his movies. Uh, no, Dark City is one of them. Um, New Line Cinema, 
uh, release this film. The first version that I did see of it was the first theatrical release where they had uh, a voiceover narration from Keeper Sutherland's character basically explaining everything. Because obviously they don't learn anything from Blade Runner. <laughs> you know, that less is more. And the director's cut is the best version of it to see because you're not having it painted by numbers for you mm. as a member of the audience. Richard O'Brien, it's always great to see Richard O'Brien appear in a movie when it's not Dungeons and Dragons. I'm talking oh, about... Oh, he was loving this, wasn't he? Oh, God. well, apparently, word around uh, the water cooler is that role was specifically written for him. Alex Proyas ended up travelling to London, I believe, to where mm -hmm. he was in a stage play at the time and basically uh, sat with him, uh, told him all about the role, and apparently Richard Bryan's like, I'll do it. In watching this film in the last week, uh, I was so chuffed uh, to discover that Melissa George was in this movie. Yes, and I was watching this and then thinking, I know her from somewhere. And yeah. this was while she still had all the clothes on. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a telltale <laughs> sign for you, Steve, isn't it, really? Oh, that's yes. who you are. Susan! Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Melissa George, it's great to see her. I don't ever recall her actually being in movies Prior to that, I can't remember what the first movie I, I think I remember her being in, but it definitely wasn't Dark City. Um, was she Neighbours, or am I thinking of someone else? Oh, God, wasn't every Australian. I loved Dark City, and it's not surprising because I'm a huge Metropolis fan, hmm. which is nearly 100 years old. Jesus. It's just shy of 100 years old. One of the most iconic movies ever. And you can tell Alex Preuss kind of loved this. And you mentioned the Maltese Falcon. I reckon he was a real fan of the Maltese Falcon as well because it just had that, that it just had that structural elements in there. You could feel the the underlying themes yeah. just seeping which, through this incredible I think is why I preferred the first half. The more sci-fi I got and the more answers that you actually got with this, the less invested I was in the movie. Yeah, and, and to be honest, there's, there's beautiful little things in there which if you're smart and you read, you'll pick up on. Uh, one of them being is that the uh, room that he wakes up in is 614. This is going to be a biblical reference, isn't it? It is. The coming of the saviour. Deja vu. The script that we are seeing on screen, I don't believe is the script that Alex Proyas went with. Uh, as far as I know, it was rewritten by David S. Goya and someone else. Blade Trinity's David S. Goya. Well, no, no. Batman Yeah, well, we remember Batman. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. You remember that. Uh, I would love to read uh, Alex Proyas' original script and where that was originally going with. And maybe the first half could be more loyal to Alex Proyas script and maybe the second half more fantasized for a, a kind of Hollywood appeal mm, could be because when you look back at The Crow The Crow is a lot kind of deeper uh, and a lot uh, yeah. it, it's not a Hollywood movie it really uh, no, it, it reeks of being an independent. It has that feel of being an independent. It's got that edge to it. That it, It's got that wonderful unfinishedness to it, but it revels in that. Yes, Graham revels in it. 
apparently. Yes, literally. Yes, I've got the score as well. <laughs> Uh, I love that Dark City is not a one-dimensional movie. I, I love the fact that it has its own kind of narrative structure. Mm. Uh, very different from the movies that were coming out at the time. And no movie showcases more the real beauty of having real sets over CGI shit. Speaking of that, uh, there is a shot very, very early on uh, where the camera is kind of swooping down towards the hotel that you meet uh, Murdoch in and it's very very clear from the outside that it's a model shot this was before CGI was properly hitting its stride and in my head I'm going okay that's a model shot okay done with it now I can get on with the film you don't get that with CGI I was watching Avatar today uh, with the kids and all I could think of was I'm watching CGI I'm watching CGI I'm not watching these wonderfully animated and articulate thing i'm watching cgi and it's because that those real sets have a weight to them they have an extra dimension to them which you don't get when you're having to deal with bits and bites the the crow had a a lot of the sets of buildings and stuff like that were all models and miniatures Mm. and they look amazing still Uh, i've got the the blu-ray of it and it looks beautiful still to this day and it doesn't bother me at all it's like oh no it's it's great the shame of this is is the window that it was released this was supposed to be released in october 1997 and it got pushed back to this kind of point in time and sadly it got released when titanic was still dominating yeah dark city could not compete with that it got released at number four at the box office it didn't recoup its budget, but it grew an incredible fan base. But no, I've got a lot of love for Dark City. Um, I, I, yeah. I think it's it, it was a very worthy addition to be pulled out of the box, very worthy of its certified fresh rating. It was. It, I enjoyed it. I really did. I, I turned to uh, Amanda when we were partway through, I think it was about 10 minutes in, and just said, yeah, I like this. Um, and even though I don't think the second half is as strong as the first, I did really, really enjoy it. I, I'm definite, yeah, thumbs up with this one. Um, it's exactly the type of film that uh, I would have seen years ago, and I think I said it to you last time, is it was just one of those films that was always kind of circling what, yes. I, was, what I was looking at. It was always, oh, yeah, I'll get round to watching that at some point but yet never doing so and then you kind of forget about it at the time um so yeah aside from aside from it being a movie that flat earthers would love because of the uh because of the end yeah um yeah i i definitely say if you're a fan of any kind of film noir any mystery any uh any kind of sci-fi world is not what you think it is kind of films and yeah i'd give it a go also might add as an extra matrix connection um if you watch the theatrical trailer to dark city and listen to the music that is in the theatrical trailer to dark city and then watch the theatrical trailer to the matrix and listen to the music (laughs) in the theatrical trailer of the matrix or Stick the DVD on of the original release of The Matrix and listen to the menu music and then say, 
Yeah. Okay, that's more than coincidental. I'm here for you, Mr. Murdoch. Well, anyway, don't take the red pill, don't take the blue pill, take the dark pill. Dark sea. But for now, it's time for some anniversaries. Watch them again, all of the time, or we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. I think I might actually leave these on now for the rest of the show. I'm, I'm, see, look, I've, I've even got this thing, my little earbud, I feel like I'm... How will we know if you're awake? Um, I, I'm in a pod somewhere in a load of loop. Okay. Well, anniversaries. Yes. Anniversaries. Where would we be without our anniversary section? Well, we'd have in the no pub. Movies. We'd be in the pub. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, Steve would be playing games, you know, and, yeah. and not learning about all of the stuff that came out 30 years ago this week, like our first movie. Okay. What is our first movie, Andrew? Oh, can you believe, Steve? It was a mere 30 years ago this week when the Burt Reynolds starring Cop and a Half was released. Oh, God. I'm trying to remember if I have seen this. I think I may have done, but it would have been one of those where it was on at like about 7pm on BBC One on a Friday afternoon, not really paying attention to it. It's just kind of there in the background while I was desperately trying to finish my tea so I could go upstairs and play on my SNES during the 90s. That is if I've seen it. I think I might have done, but if I have, it's just kind of that. Which is exactly how it was pitched. (laughs) Anyway, Cup and a Half uh, was directed by a man that I think we all know, Henry Winkler. Yes. You may know him from The Waterboy. You may know him from Night Shift, underrated classic. Some of you may know him from Arrested Development. And some of you may know that this, to this date, is the last movie he has ever directed. Yeah. Yo, I like you, Henry, but just no. No. Yeah, somehow he's just not made a career in Adam Sandler movies, like his dad usually. Or yeah. some authoritative figure. Some kind of mentor. Or dying yeah. in the first screen film. Yeah, Cup and a Half was the movie where Burt Reynolds makes his return to cinema. More on that in a minute. Uh, where he's basically doing a kindergarten cop clone. He is this hard-boiled, violent cop detective. Hey! Get your filthy butt off my car! So he, he has to basically babysit a young kid, a tiny little kid, who is a witness to a murder but refuses to tell uh, the police anything unless he can ride around with his cop hero. Uh, funnily enough, the script for this was originally intended to be a sequel to Kindergarten Cop. And unfortunately, we had to wait until Dolph Lundgren was ready to accept the role in the 2010s (laughs) or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, straight to DVD. Not even straight to... It probably went straight to... I don't know. The bargain bin? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know what? There's a whole wealth of people watching this show now saying, there's a kindergarten cup too? Mm. How do we not know this? Well, the young child in this was originally supposed to be Macaulay Culkin. 
but Macaulay Culkin uh, passed on it to go and do The Good Son. So I guess uh, he won out there. I've not seen The Good Son, so uh, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, that's all we need is Macaulay Culkin smoking and swearing and murdering people. Uh, that might have been the most genius idea by a Fox executive who's just pissed off with making Home Alone movies. It's like, I fucking yeah. hate this kid. How can we make him hated? Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Burt Reynolds returned to the screen here. This was his first theatrical release in, I think it was three years. Uh, the last movie I think he did was Switching Channels, I believe, with Christopher Reeve and um, Kathleen Turner, which uh, it was all right. I think that was a Warner Brothers movie at the time. So much so Warner Brothers won't even release it nowadays, and they release it to ITV to release on DVD. Um it was not Burt Reynolds originally cast it was Kurt Russell which would have made an even better movie yeah I think I no offence to the, the legacy of Burt Reynolds I think I would have preferred Kurt Russell yeah I, I think Kurt Russell would have brought he, he totally would have Captain Rondon yeah <laughs> as I say or a Jack Burton British. a Jack Burton yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm, I'm sure Henry Winkler kind of regretted because he and Burt Reynolds did not get along yes another onset tiff we have them every week uh, strangely for uh, a movie that's kind of forgotten about to a greater extent this movie was actually a hit in the day so this made 40.7 million against a 14 million dollar budget so this okay. was a hit movie so uh, yeah it made profit but then again lots of things can make profit that doesn't necessarily make them good Exactly. I don't think this was even released theatrically in the UK. I think this came straight out on video. As sure I it did, yeah. Um, but this proved the power of the poster. Yeah, with the handcuffs over the... Yeah. Because the poster was specifically designed to be like Kindergarten Cops poster to appeal to that audience. Mm. But when you watch this movie, Burt Reynolds was obviously just doing it for the money. Because he is going through the motions with the least amount of charisma you can put into a movie. You know, those he was going through a divorce, get? wasn't he? Quite possibly. That's probably why he needed the money. Yeah. But there, there are some movies that you'll watch where Bert is just there. And I'll say for a good percentage of Rennie Harlan's Driven movie, he is just there. Apart from mm. one scene where he confronts Sylvester Stallone in the garage and shows more like acting power than I've ever seen him do in any other movie. And it's like, why why did this movie not make it based on just that one performance in that one scene? But it was great. So Cop and Half, 30 years old this week. Uh, so what's going to be the next one? Okay, uh, 20 years ago. This is where it always kind of gets scary because you're like, there is no way that was 20 years ago. Yeah. A little so bit, I 2003. I, I see whenever I say 20 years ago, you grimace a little waiting for it to come out. But um, 20, <laughs> years ago, yeah. Yeah, 20 years ago this week, Phone Booth was released. Which is the last time that you could ever properly use that kind of plot device. Because ever since then, mobile phones have taken over... Uh, and it's just, it's impossible. You could, you'd have to come up with something else. You couldn't even use like newspaper vendor booth these days because yes. they've all gone. 
But yeah, phone booth. I have seen this one. I, I had have. this. I have. I went to the cinema to see this one because I thought it just sounded like such a really, really good, uh, really, really good idea, and it was. We're back to Kiefer Sutherland again as well, aren't we? Yes, Kiefer Sutherland yes. is making an appearance yet again. Uh, Joel Schumacher, a regular favourite that we talk about on the show, he seems to crop up quite a few times. Uh, around this time, uh, he had just come off the uh, I guess the disastrous Batman and Robin. This was a kind of like a mere culpa for that, really, wasn't it? Yes, this was, I guess, his movie in between that and Phantom of the Opera. Mm. Uh, you know, the days of falling down were kind of a bit behind him. But he did do a great movie that kind of led into this called Tigerland, which uh, really introduced the world to kind of Colin Farrell. And obviously, Colin Farrell yeah. transferred over to this movie. Phone Booth is probably one of the 2000s great Hitchcockian throwbacks it really is uh, it was written by Larry Cohen that's a name that we have featured on the show in the past now the funny thing when I say the Hitchcockian throwback Larry Cohen pitched this very script to Alfred Hitchcock in the 1960s wow so it's that old it is that old this has Shit. been around since the 1960s and only got made in 2002 so Rumble Rama still has chance <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you know what I love about this movie though is bar one or two other locations everything takes place within about a 50 meter radius of that yes. phone booth oh, yeah. uh, the, the people across the road that are having the argument the sniper nest where the, the bad guy is camped out and he's covering him the two ends of the street where the cops are and then a little jaunt through Times Square that's it it's so tight, it's so small it's so contained and it also cuts down on pretty much any of the flab that you'd expect in a movie if it was made today it's so taut and lean and tight. It, I think it's only got something like about a 78-minute running time, something else like that. It's yes. pretty short. But it knows that it doesn't need to be long. It knows that it doesn't need to drag it out. It just needs to go, this is the story, this is the situation, these are the people, and this is where we are. And as soon as that story is over, it's done. Yes. And Wonderful. It, it's, it's one of the most effective ways of doing it. Could have been completely different. Mm -hmm. uh, because the original director attached was Michael Bay. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right. The Septons yes. would be strafing it. The Nicolas Cage would be trying to blow it up. Oh, my God. And apparently, one line during a production meeting from Michael Bay nixed the entire thing of him being the director. Apparently, oh, I've heard this one, yeah. He Go turned on. around and asked, how do we get him out of the phone booth? <laughs> So, yeah. and apparently they were like, yeah, this is not a good idea. Bye. Bye, Felicia. Um, yeah, that, that's that's so Michael Bay. You blow it up, obviously. You know, yeah. you don't. You just light a cigarette in it and the entire Times Square blows up. Which is the Michael Bay way. Uh, this is a contender, Steve. On the fuck meter. Oh, is it? Okay, through, let's get out the graph for the fuck meter. Yes. Through what is no more than an 80-minute movie, there are 143 fucks in this movie. 
that is a high contender. That is two a minute at least, and uh, it's most... not enough to unseat the uh, the commitments. But no, yeah. and Midnight Run is still bubbling there within the two of them. Yep. Uh, another great thing about this movie: the entire movie was shot in sequence. Mm, yes, I'd heard that one as well. Yes, that yes. is a trend that is not as uh, not as done as much today, which is a shame. But if mm. you can do it, it's great. It was also done so that the the shots and all things like that that ring out, uh, none of the extras would know they were coming to get a mm. genuine reaction, which uh, doesn't hold up well when you realise that this movie was delayed for a year on purpose. It was due to the Beltway sniper attacks that happened ah. in 2002. Uh, they thought it would be in bad taste to release this movie in that same time frame. And they pushed it back. An amazing thing is, Steve, how many phone booths are there in New York currently? Um, actual full-size booths, I don't think there are any now. I think there. I think you've only got like the little kiosks. Yep. In the entirety of New York, four. There are. Oh, so there are actually some. There are four phone booths that have been kept as a, a historical marker of what New York used to be. So right. as a heritage kind of thing, they have been kept, as well as all of the piss that has amounted to it. I was going to say, do they hire a special ceremonial tramp to come in and pee in them and sleep in them overnight? Yes. Uh, spoiler alert for anybody who has not seen it. Spoiler alert. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland is the sniper in this movie. It's mainly his voice for all of it, apart from uh, one glimpse at the end. Uh Bruce Campbell, dark man style, where you just mm -hmm. get him at the end. He is featured on the box art and the poster, but he literally is nowhere to be seen in the actual movie. But as usual, Joel Schumacher likes casting Kiefer Sutherland as a villain. Nah, yeah, screw it. If it works, it works. Yeah. So in The Lost Boys, in A Time to Kill, um, I'd even say his flatliners because he was kind of the arsehole. Do I look like an arsehole? In the group. Mm -hmm. The star of this movie, initially, 20th Century Fox, did not want Colin Farrell in that role because he was not a name. The movie Tigerland that Joel Schumacher had made, which featured him in the starring role, was not released yet. So he wasn't nice. on anyone's radar. Uh, Fox campaigned for, guess who? Bruce Willis. Nope. Fox actually heavily campaigned for Jim Carrey to take that role. Oh dear God, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Definitely no. not. No. And surprise, surprise, uh, this movie was a huge hit. Yes. A huge hit. This movie made $97 million against a $13 million budget. Well, you can't, even if you like double that up, so 13, 26 million, including publicity, so that's still a good, a good 60 million profit. If Can't that, go yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a really good movie. And it's not a long movie, so it doesn't cram up your entire night. If you just want a nice, easy movie to watch one night, you know, that really works on the tension you've got from this one mm -hmm. spot in New yeah. York. It's great. It's really good. It's really effective and really works. And it was released 20 years ago this week. 
Okay. So we got one more then. One more for the road, as they say. So, Andy, hit us with it. Steve, this might be a bit of a trigger for you. I do apologise. But on. I had to do it. Ten years ago, this week... Go on. The Evil Dead was released. Okay, no, I don't mind that one. I don't mind the remake. Yeah, it's it's basically the exact same as the original one, uh, minus the the schlocky effects and uh, the and and a fake out at the end. Really, Um, the character names are different, and then spoilers um, instead of the the Ash standing character surviving to the end, he gets killed, and the uh, uh, Cheryl character turns up being the hero who cuts her hand off. It's always a Cheryl. No, it was the woods themselves. <laughs> They're alive, actually. Directed by mm-hmm. Fidi Alvarez. Mm-hmm. Now, Fidi Alvarez has gone on to direct great stuff like Don't Breathe, which is an amazingly atmospheric horror, which you probably haven't seen. Uh, also directed The Girl in the Spider's Web, which wasn't exactly a a warm return for the Girl and the Dragon tattoo series. Definitely not on par with David Fincher's remake. And, you know, they recast that character countless times now. Uh, also, El, El Cojonudo, I believe it is called, which is uh, a Mexican horror film that's uh, pretty decent. I'll take your word on that one. Don't know it. Yeah, well, it's world cinema, Steve. We haven't delved any world cinema stuff out of the box for you yet. I'm amazed. No. But that's not happening. No. We'll probably anyway, get there. Um, Evil Dead remake, uh, I think, possibly has broken the record for the amount of fake blood used in a movie. Mm-hmm. 70,000 gallons of fake blood was used in this movie alone. And because of that, it was also filmed in sequence because it just would have taken far too long to clean the set down and then mess it up again later. So, yeah. Very true. Steve, when you watched it, did you stay for after the credits? Groovy. Groovy. Yes, there is an Ash cameo. Yes. Bruce Campbell, post-credits, because... they were going to yeah. add these two franchises together as one. So this was a branch off. And then the follow on of this Evil Dead, which sadly didn't happen, uh, it was going to involve Ash coming in. And then obviously they went yeah. and made Ash versus the Evil Dead, which was. Which is fantastic. A cult hit, I would say. Yeah. Sadly, no longer with us. And now we've mm-hmm. got Evil Dead Rise just about to release yeah. this month. Mom? Mommy's with the maggots now. <laughs> So uh, Lee Cronin, who's directing Evil Dead Rise, has said that in his head, uh, he was looking at the three versions of the Necronomicon, which was on the uh, the altar in the end of Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that one of them belongs to the, uh, the version of Ash who gets trapped in the future at the end of Evil Dead, at the end of the, the international version of that film. There's been so many different cuts of that movie. It's like Blade Runner. Um, then you've got the second version of the Necronomicon, which follows Ash into Ash versus Evil Dead. And then you've got a third version of the Necronomicon, which goes into 
Evil Dead Rise. And that also then ties in somewhere with the Evil Dead remake. So he's then saying that all of these universes could potentially be connected via the Necronomicon. I don't know. We're getting too bogged down in multiverses at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Too much of it. Fucking death. It was all right. It was just very clearly a remake it wasn't like a reimagining it wasn't like a rebooting it was a remake so all the kind of plot beats were more or less the same but had their own little twist on it it, I, I, it, it, it tried to play fan service which may have been to its detriment, detriment yeah yeah i mean yeah. um i love the fact that they went very practical with only a little few cgi touch-ups in there yeah uh, for this movie so the practical stuff is Right up my alley. <laughs> what may have pissed you off is that they did originally envision of recasting Ash with Aston Kutcher. God, yeah, no. that's no. that's ghoulish in its intent. Um, the creature makeup effects are amazing in this. I really do love them, and a big shout out to Roger Murray and Jane O'Kane who did them. Mm-hmm. Tremendous they, work, guys. They were some proper stor- stomach churning practical oh, effects. Yeah. Like when she, like when she sits the tongue. Oh, oh God, yeah, yeah. That that one always makes. Yeah. Me uh, the music uh, by Rug Banas uh, was really effective. Bless you. Yeah, you're welcome. And yet again, this movie was a hit. Yes. This movie, ninety-seven million on a seventeen million dollar budget, which is absolutely fantastic. Yes, um, and I reckon it's what the Evil Dead needed. It needed a hit to show that this fan base was still there. Ash versus Evil Dead may not have happened without the success. Oh, no, this. Or, yeah, apparently Ash versus Evil Dead, according to an interview with Bruce Campbell, happened simply because that even though fans were going watching this and enjoying it as a movie, they were there going, "Where's Ash?" Yeah. Where's all the humour that we got used to? And so, in the end, they felt that it wasn't enough, uh, wasn't enough impetus there to carry on it going. And I, so I Sam think... Raimi came back, and I think they did the right thing. Ash vs. Evil Dead is awesome. Yes, and so is Army of Darkness. But uh, mm. I think Army of Darkness is just a forgotten classic. But um, the, the thing, the problem with Evil Dead is, I think it relies so heavily on the Ash character now. You know that. Mm. I mean. The new Evil Dead Rise that is about to come out, the early word is, is that it is fantastic. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I would be happy if there is no Ash reference or nothing to do with Ash in there at all. I think this does need its own contained thing to say, it's about Evil Dead, it's not about Ash. Yeah. You know, these things do not exist in these worlds simply because Ash exists in these worlds. You know, there's got to be more breathing room for these stories to get out there, and there's so much potential away from the Ash character to really do something that like, like this that looks freaking terrifying. So it's, I, I it's, would it's not a movie for the squeamish. No. Oh no, no. Not but once you once you've sat through the sadness, you can sit through fucking anything. <laughs> I'm not watching the bloody sadness. Not after hearing I, you and uh, yeah. Oh, dear. you know what. Uh, the, the thing is, that's the last recommendation I took for Extreme Horror of Jonas. Because when he was telling me about Terrifier, I was like, there is no way I am watching Terrifier 2 because I had to sit through the sadness 
and it ruined my life yeah. for a few days. I could not get the images out of my head that would put me off my food. Terrifier uh, 2, the squeakle. Uh, but yes, uh, 10 years ago uh, this week, Evil Dead was released. It's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. If you've been putting off mm -hmm. seeing it because you're, you know, you loved Evil Dead 1 and 2 and you think it's just a cheap cash-in, Something like that. It's not, you know. It, it's it's operates as its own thing. It's very lovingly created by Fede Alvarez, who was obviously a fan. He was he was that much of a fan of the Evil Dead that he did not dishonor it. No, 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 he, he didn't. He he put his own little spin on it, as every filmmaker who is in charge of something does. Listen up, Marvel. You hire these amazing directors. Let them put their own identity on that shit. All right. Uh, you let Sam Raimi do it a little bit with Multiverse of Madness but come on, l give them something instead of it all looking the same, or just don't bother making them because I can't be arsed with them anymore no, um, I can't But yes, well, we've uh, been over this, I'm done with Marvel Yes, I'm done, just we're done. done until they get pulled out of the box yeah uh, speaking of which what's in the box what's in the box What's in the box? What's in the box? Uh, what's in the box? Explain what's in the box for the people who are just joining our show this week. Andy is going to be picking the name of a movie out of a box which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, if I have seen it, then he's going to keep pulling out names until we find one that I haven't seen. And then I've got to go away and watch it before we record our next episode. Yes. Very good. Yes. For your first time, that was great. Thank you. Okay, as you see, I pulled a couple out episodes. here because uh, we now have the law of five. Thanks to us getting five in a row that you had seen. Mm, yeah. No. Back. So, start the music, please. Thank you. Okay, Steve, are you ready? For the first hit me, race? baby. <gasps> oh, oh, awesome. Oh, what? Please, God, I hope you haven't seen this because I really want to cover this next week. What? what, what? And, that, and that does not mean to say, yes, I've seen it, so, you know, whatever. Um, Hustle and Flow. Yeah, I've seen it. You have seen it? No, I haven't. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you haven't seen it because that is such an obscure movie, uh, but it's brilliant. Oh, my God, this is, this is so good. You're going to love this, I hope. Uh, that's the first one out of the box. Yeah, we we Just, usually at least get one out. I know. It's a bit Saved a, a bit more time. And pack a lot more story in. Okay, so yes, Hustle and Flow is going to be uh, opening our show um, next week. We have a guest episode coming up in between <gasps> these two episodes. Yes, Return of the Guests. It'll be fantastic. We have Jen McGowan, absolutely mm. amazing director. Uh, she directed independent films like Kelly and Cal and Russ Creek. Uh, you may know her as a name if you watch uh, Star Trek Discovery or The Purge, DC Titans, uh, The Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. She's directed a whole bunch of them. And she will be with us next week on the next episode following this. And we're looking forward to it. The guests are finally coming back. The show is running nicely. The feedback has been great. You're all loving this new format. We're happy. Steve's fucking exhausted because he has to edit this for the next week while I do all the <laughs> stuff like promoting and getting guests on and, and keeping you all informed. But you know what? 
I just want to throw a shout out before we do all the promotional stuff. Thank you, everybody who has been really supportive of the show and patient with us while we've been trying to get this new format going. And it is going to get better. And uh, I just want to say thank you for the love this past week and especially the last episode. Yes. Uh, and if you want to take anything that you've heard of in this episode and just get involved in the conversation with us about it then you know what to do just hit us up on the links below we're on facebook.com forward slash pottywood we're at twitter at pottywood we've got the r slash pottywood subreddit we're also on linkedin and then you can also head over to our patreon tell them what they get on our patreon andy our patreon subscribers you can listen to audio versions of these episodes just prior to the video one being released. So maybe a day, maybe two days, depends on when Steve actually gets A couple of days ahead of time, yeah. A couple of days ahead of time. So you can listen to them ahead of time while you're at the gym, in the car, um, getting it on where you miss, whatever you're doing, you know. Yeah. Um, we're, we're good background music for it. Yeah. Uh, so you can check that out on Patreon. Also, it's re- we really need your subscribes people yes so all you people on youtube just subscribe just help us get those numbers up because we love doing this you know we want to get it out there we want to reach new people just like you who love seeing stuff like this as well yeah so So, click the bell hit subscribe it's a cliche you've heard it in loads of videos but the main problem is youtube keeps on messing around with the algorithm and disconnecting people so you press it press the things and do the thing give us a like thumbs up or whatever you know what to do you it's not your first time here yeah, if you can make fucking Ryan's world, like, if you subscribe to that shit, come on, ours is at least a little bit more entertaining, and we don't even get free toys. So anyway, uh, we look forward to seeing you next week with our guest. Uh, we're also going to have Bill Daly back soon. We're going to have Jonas Barnes back soon. We've got a whole lot of fun stuff coming up. Thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you next week. And you're also stealing my sign-off. I know. I stole it from the two Ronnies. <laughs>